Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 101, as we are well into the uh, triple digits here on ITG, your new favorite WV football podcast. I'm Wesley Euler. As always, got the best teammates in the business. We got the signal caller, Jed Drenning, uh, our buddy Owen Schmidt, busy with, uh, with some high school coaching duties. So uh, we've got our handsome tubby man of gold, Sean Big Daddy Mariner, from wall to wall on this edition of the podcast. <sighs> the Houston We Have a Problem edition of ITG. We'll get into all of that that transpired down in Houston on Thursday night. This episode of ITG, as always, brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. Boys, um, our recording schedule can be a blessing and a curse, right? Um, we're kind of very regimented with our recording, which I think is always a good thing in the podcast world, right? Um, you know when to expect our episodes, which is which is a, a key of any podcast. Um, but with that, sometimes there's more time for marination, for, for some of the instant reaction to die down. It's Sunday night as we record this. The game happened on Thursday. I mean, it's, it's been a full three days since uh, since the game now that we're recording this. It can be a blessing and a curse because if we would have talked about this game on Friday, um, emotions would have obviously been at an all time high. Like we've all had some time to calm down and digest and think on it a little bit more. And here's where I'm at now after, I mean, I wouldn't say the anger and the, the disappointment. I, I, I felt like a dad on Thursday night. Like I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed, right? I'm getting, just getting me ready for, for fatherhood here with my two daughters. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed and I'm still disappointed, but I was thinking about how do we start this today? And Jed, I kept coming back to, and I think Sean was on when we were talking about the TCU episode a couple of weeks ago and recapping just that crazy win and all the different, you know, moments in there. And, and, and you said, Jed, you talked about how I gave that impassioned speech after the pit loss and the in the return of the backyard brawl last year and how, you know, when we argued about the fourth and one and the decision and key moments, right? Key moments, those moments that you want as a fan. And Jed, you mentioned, you said, you know, Wes, weren't there some of those moments down there at, at Ammon G. Carter Stadium? Uh, unfortunately, it went the other way this time. That's that's where I'm at today. Those key moments went the other way. Uh, a kick return for a touchdown. That Jalen Anderson play that ended up being a, four, a 10 or 14 point swing. Uh, the refs did you no favors on the night. Of course, that Hail Mary at the very end of the game. I mean, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting a couple in there as well, too. But that's where I'm at, Jed. Uh, you know, you had back-to-back games in Texas. In one, you, you, the ball bounced your way in those key moments. In the other, not so much. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the Hail Mary, how it ended. Uh, and, you know, we we all, the consensus seemed to be for all of us who were there and probably all of us who were not there, it felt like something that you'd never seen or experienced before. And I would submit there's a fair to middling chance that the reason it felt like that is because it might, in fact, be something that nobody has ever experienced before. What I mean by that is this walk off Hill Mary games. Uh, of course they're rare, but they do happen. We saw another one over the weekend, right? They happen. Uh, it's not Haley's comment. They happen. They just don't happen very often. Once, right? once or twice a year, usually. Yeah. Once or twice a year, these things play out. And what I would bet is if you get the list of all those that have happened, 
And we remember a lot of them, whether it's Cordell at Michigan. I mean, there, there's Appalachian, a reason. Appalachian State last year. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason you remember the way these things end because it is rare. But I would say this. If you're to itemize a list of all the game endings that have ended in walk-off Hail Marys, <clears throat> I might suggest none of them were preceded by something like this. And by something like this, what I mean is our own miracle. A fourth and 10, 50-yard touchdown with 12 seconds left. So what I'm getting at is our miracle, our play for the ages that would have been a top 10 moment in the history of our program, was immediately trumped by theirs. I don't know if that has ever in the history of college football happened. There have been big things happen at the end of games, whether it's field goals, whether it's stops, whether it's goal-to-go touchdowns. I don't recall any game-winning Hail Mary being preceded by a 50-yard touchdown on fourth down with 12 seconds left. So, unfortunately, it, it did feel like lightning truly struck twice. That That's what it felt like. And the range of emotions that we all experienced, whether you were in Houston or whether you were watching on your couch, there is a pretty good chance that the range of emotions we experienced in those final 12 seconds might truly be unprecedented. Unfortunately. Sean, Sean I, I love the way Jed um, laid that out. The one, and it wasn't Hail Mary, it wasn't the same thing, but the one thing that comes to mind to me, I don't know, you might know where I'm going here, Quincy Wilson in the run against Miami ah, and then Kellen wins and, yep. and then Kellen wins low. Now, again, it wasn't a hail Mary with 12 seconds left. You know, I think there was yep. 90 seconds left on the clock or something, but in the immediate aftermath, five to 10 minutes, I thought I haven't felt like that after a loss since I was 13 years old and Kellen Winslow converted fourth and 13 for Miami to beat us after the Quincy Wilson run. Freshman year in the dorms, uh, Quincy does the run. We all go to get our jackets. We are going to go to Sunnyside. We are going to get into trouble. And then I'm a soldier happens and, and we're just left ejected. The, the Jalen uh, wheel route was what really your fat buddy gets lucky maybe once, twice a year with filming. I'm on the goal line. The pass is a teardrop directly to me in my position and I just have to not move and I follow it I follow it it's perfect boop okay great I just have to walk back to the sideline and just live with that happening right in front of me and then with Hudson I I shot it I don't know how good it was because I'm not ever going to go back and look at that but then I followed him I did not turn off my camera for seven minutes I followed him to the sideline. I followed all the players coming over to him. And in my head, I'm like, this is it. That we're this, we are, I'm drafting award speeches for our team because I know our creative department's going to knock this out of the park. This is wonderful. This is incredible. And then it happens. And I just nod, turn the camera off, and start walking to the locker room. I, another, and I'm not trying to relive this, this will be the last that I do. Another kick was. I don't know what happened with the TV broadcast. I don't know how quick they got off of it and got out of there. But we were on the they, field. All they, they, oh, they hung around. Okay, because that was the worst part for me because officials came back out of the locker room, told our players going up the tunnel to come back to the field. Nobody knows what's going on. Some players are saying he was past the line of scrimmage. You know, it, it's it's chaos. We are right by the officials. They are not saying anything. 
Two of them walk off again, so not a good sign, without speaking to anybody, any administrators, anything. The official gets on and says they've declined the kick. The game's like, okay, so what are, what are we doing here? Like, then it's the, that's another gut punch on top of it. And then we got to go do post game in a room that was the size of a bathroom. It was a brutal post game. And it's just terrible. The, I, I'll the, tell you what happened, Big Daddy, immediately after. Like, like first of all, Wes, I can see the parallel with Miami. Mm-hmm. The difference would be when Quincy scored, my first thought was, oh my God, we left them way too much time. He scored two minutes left. And I thought, with all those guys on that offense, how are you going to stop them from getting? I was immediately worried with this. I said that because I always say it, but then I quickly told myself, you're just being ridiculous. And then, of course, the penalty <laughs> impacted it, like so many other things in the game did. But, sure, sure. But sure. first, let's, 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 let's talk about Garrett, okay? <clears throat> I mean, what Garrett showed us and what he didn't show us. He showed us a lot. Garrett showed us in that environment, on the road, what he is. He's a legitimate dual-threat playmaker of the highest order. Uh, but he also showed us unfortunately showed us unfortunately what he isn't. He he isn't a leader who can control his emotions instead of being controlled by them quite yet. Okay. Uh he's growing, but that fourth down touchdown should have been an incredible part of the legacy cool. that he wants to build here. Uh and that's what it should have been. But instead it's overshadowed uh by what he did afterwards. And that's what people for the time being will remember most. And and that could change as well. It was it was obvious to anyone who was around him after the fact that he recognized not just the consequence of what he'd done, but how it was the direct result of his own poor judgment. I, I mean, that was Big Daddy. You saw him like I saw him, and that was very apparent. Yeah. He has – now, here's the good news. He has a lot of football left in him, okay? Uh, what he now needs to be committed to, and I'm a 1,000% certain he will be, is doing something so incredible before he leaves Morgantown that what happened after that touchdown in Houston will be marginalized to nothing more than a footnote and a brilliant career. In other words, that should be his mission, to create a legacy so incredible on and off the field, the off the field part, guys, you see it, you saw where he was the morning after we got back from Houston. Yeah. Him and Zach Frazier were visiting a young cancer patient at Bellevue Children's Hospital. That's who Garrett is. That's who Zach is. So that part of it is going to take care of himself, both on and off the field. And can he build such a career that we reflect on what happened Saturday night as nothing more than maybe the turning point in that career uh, for an up-and-coming playmaker who developed into a leader of men who rises above the challenges that a football game is going to throw at you uh, especially when those challenges are internal and fueled by your own emotion. So we saw the playmaking part of it. And, guys, I'm telling you, I, it hurt even more watching that touchdown when I watched the coaches cut. Because watching the tape, Houston ran a stunt. Their tackle slipped through and was literally hitting Garrett's arm as he fought through and released that football. Mm. So we had a switch route, okay? Uh, a good portion of the night. It was the, as Neil said in the post game, the fifth or sixth time we'd run that switch route. Well, Garrett had been leaning towards the rail route to Cole, the portion of the switch. Now it's a switch route is the slot's going to run a wheel basically. Okay. Up the, up the sideline. 
the outside receiver is going to run a sluggo, a slant and go up the hash. And it creates conflict for the flat to player to that, that side. It's, it's a great man route, but it's also a great zone route if you can read that flat player. Well, in that instance, they were in man. And when you watch the tape, the corner did kind of get congested in the mess of the nickel back trying to fly out and cover over top of the reel. So Garrett projected all this as he was taking that hit and released that football into the void. And the free safety, I mean, that dude was 17 yards deep at the snap and pumping into a back pedal on the – fortunately for Garrett, on the snap. So, really, they were playing defense with 10 guys and, and a center fielder. Garrett recognized what was happening. He anticipated that throw so beautifully. He fought through a defensive tackle colliding his arm – and released that football up the seam on that switch route, hitting Hudson, who made a tremendous play, made everybody miss, and marched into the night in what should have been one of the greatest finishes in the history of Mountaineer football. Uh, but instead, Garrett got caught up in the emotion of it. I don't understand this. I don't understand when CJ does it. I don't understand when Garrett does it. Look, it's not like bad kids are doing this. These kids are the best of the best in terms of everything you'd want a kid to be in a locker room around your team. There's something about the contemporary player. This happened to Houston, and it nearly cost them against SMU in a big game a year or two ago. The same exact thing. And it seems like, and I'm not about to defend this, because these guys recognize, as Neil tells them, look, the officials don't even want to call this. Yeah. But they've got no choice when you're sitting there in direct objective violation of a rule on the field on video. It's not a, there's no, there's no judgment in that call, right? There's none. It's not like there's, it's like a, it's like a, I mean, even a, even a false start, there's some judgment in there. Like there's no judgment in this. This is black and white. It's, it's either it is or it isn't. And I mean, unless you're going to come out and use the excuse that I had a B in my helmet, which I haven't heard anybody say that yet. Right. Uh, what are you doing? I mean, I don't understand that part of it. And, uh, but when you recognize how that whole thing unfolded and that did, of course, a lot of different things are racing through my head. I'm thinking, all right, you're kicking off in the 20. So initially my thought process was there's 12 seconds left. Okay. So if you're on the 35, because for a second there, you didn't realize, okay, this is going to be a flag. I mean, but when you're up by four after the PAT, you didn't know it. So now you're kicking off from the 20. Had it been the 35, it's easy. I would almost even say I'd be so hell-bent on not letting them return it, even though Golden was out of the game. He was injured for those last yeah. couple of kickoffs. Yeah. But they still have weapons back there. You did not want to put this in one of the hands of the skilled guys at Houston with a clean chance to return it. You squid it, that's a different animal. I wouldn't even have minded kicking it out of bounds. But remember I the rule. I was thinking that too. You're back on the 20, okay? Here's how that rule goes. The other team gets the football at the 35 if it goes out of bounds, unless it doesn't make it to the 35, and then it gets it wherever it went out of bounds. Mm. So you're kicking off from the 20. That's a little trickier. You can still do it, but it's a little trickier. So it changes the whole dynamic of everything. And and it, it was pretty apparent that once they returned it to where they did, I mean, I was watching that clock, oh, like a hawk on that kick return. And, and Sean, I even thought, that was a long beat to stay on on seven instead of drop to six. And at that point, that seemed to matter, right? It felt yeah. like a long beat. I was like, how did it not drop from seven to six? That Wow, that was a long second. So there were seven seconds left when they took the field. 
and you almost quickly recognize they have to do something to work toward the flat. Now you can't defend the entire flat, but you, you knew they had to do something to get in range for the prayer. And that's exactly what they did. They worked the flat. They got in range for the prayer. Now they're at midfield. Now Donovan Smith as a big, physical, slippery, elusive guy can do a couple different things to put the football in position to at least try and give you a play. Now, I've heard people ask, I mean, first of all, I'm quite certain that if you were to ask Jordan Leslie, hey, you got another crack at this, anything you'd change? Well, I don't know what those changes might be, but he tweaks something because he doesn't want the result to be the same, right? Now, yes, we were held up front, but we talked about it, guys. Eddie V was held. Tyron Bradley was held. O-lines on Hail Marys know they're not going to get flagged for holding. They kind of know it. No, I could. I there. So, there was there was five different calls or non calls in that game that I'd have more beef with than than those non holds. Yeah, so at the end. I it mean, just even as get egregious called. as those holds were, they're not going to get called. It's a hail mary. This doesn't get called. And yeah. O lines everywhere kind of know that it's an unwritten rule. Hey, you're going to get away with almost everything on a hail mary at the point of attack. So then you launch it into the end zone. Hershey tries to make the jump. He doesn't hit it at its high point on the apex. It's deflected. Meanwhile, Sean, all five, nine of him is trying to jump too. Now, here's what's interesting. Different guys approach this philosophically in different ways. But Bill Belichick always said, when it comes to defending a Hail Mary, his approach to it is he wants one jumper. And everybody else scattered about watching for the receivers, hoping for a deflection. Because, I mean, the way Dana coaches this and even talked about it in the post game, he coached the same way here. He wants a couple jumpers when he throws a Hail Mary, okay? But he also wants a couple trailers. So the trailers are who's typically going to make the play if it's yeah. not cleanly squatted to the ground. So that's Belichick's take on it. I want more defenders looking for those trailers, the kid who caught the touchdown. And I couldn't help but think that kid was a Big 12 transfer who caught the touchdown, just like the kid at TCU was a Big 12 transfer who caught the touchdown against us. J.P. Richardson. These are all Oklahoma State kids, right? So we didn't make the play. Thanks, Gundy. People are, yeah, I, well, that's crossed my mind. <laughs> but uh, but people, everything's crossed my mind in the last couple of days. Oh, but people have asked, why not have different personnel on the field, okay? Well, again, that's a conversation you can have. Uh, I mean, first of all, the guys that you most trust to make a play with a football in the air, irrespective of, size frame anything else you trust the guys to make to play the ball the most that are on the field now there might be guys that you don't trust with the ball in the air as much who are taller who are longer and you can have that conversation but cold like a cole taylor well i'm even saying defensively we have some longer defenders but no but that's what i mean you know like you've seen rob gronkowski used to go back for for the patriots and And, and, you know what i mean your tallest guys yeah i would almost even say this you might and let's stick with the Belichick theme. You might say, okay, put a guy who's tall and long with leaping ability. Take a Gronkowski, for instance. But what you don't want to do is populate your Hail Mary defense with two or three of those guys. You can't do that. You can't put Cole Taylor and Devin Carter. And here's the issue you run into. You have to also to be able to defend a deep crossing route with risk of lateral. And the only way to do that is with guys accustomed to tackling in space. Yeah, you so saw you that happen to the Patriots against there, the Dolphins a few years ago. Exactly. Remember when Gronkowski was running to the end zone and looked exactly. like a robot That's that was breaking well, why down? Why do you think – remember the play that Auburn made, okay, uh, against Alabama 
on the field goal that fell short on the return. The reason that's so dangerous is because the personnel, the kick unit has on the field. They got a bunch of big heavies. They, heavies, they can't make plays in space. Well, you might not have big heavies if you populate your defense with two or three guys who don't play defense, but you have guys who aren't used to trying to tackle Division One football players in space. That's an issue. So, Is your, compu- your computer beeping there, Jed? Oh, yeah, I'm having issues here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, th- that's the consideration. You can have a conversation about doing things differently, doing things with different personnel. But remember, there's a pro and a con to all these things. And uh, having one guy jump instead of two, I mean, you can do, you know, some guys say rush five, bring five. And, and you know, people will wonder what was Jared Bartlett even doing on the second level? Well, he was the first line of defense. He's not watching the quarterback. I think maybe, again, if I'd change anything, once he saw Donovan Smith break contain, he could have been more aggressive in coming downhill with his hands in the air. But he was backing off. He didn't want a penalty. I mean, you could tell by his body language, but he was, if they did throw a crossing route instead of the Hail Mary, he was one of the select few defenders in the pit area. He wasn't there necessarily worried about Donovan Smith. He was worried about, are you going to throw a shallow cross and start a bunch of crazy laterals? You only, what you do is you commit a couple defenders on different levels of the pit to defend that portion of it, if in fact they do that. But some people would say, hey, rush four, rush five, don't rush three and keep eight back. There's different philosophies and different approaches to doing this. It's only wrong if it doesn't work. Yeah. So. Ah, geez. Now I'm thoroughly depressed again. Yeah, this has been great. This has been great. I mean, been well, great. and I'll say this too. Uh, when, when the game ended and we went out for the handshake, we couldn't find Dane, me and Neil. And the chaos on the field, the Hail Mary took place down to the far right. We couldn't find Dana. And here comes Dor Ryan Dorchester, his director of football ops, who worked for him up here. He's putting his hands up like, I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is. We're all looking. And, and meanwhile, finally, a couple minutes into this, from way up on the far left comes Dana. Finally, he emerges, and he gives uh, Neil the cat who swallowed the canary look, kind of shrugs like, hey, you know. I, I mean, he recognized how crazy that finish was. How could he not? And then Neil spent significant time with the officials. And then we finally, once we made it in, and you talk about difficult interviews, uh, uh, Neil, Neil Brown's the nicest guy in the world. And that was still challenging because I, we're down by Big Daddy. We were starting up into the tunnel when I was thinking, I'm not going to be able to transmit with this mic because yeah. I was having mic issues. You had three different mic mics. issues. Yeah. <laughs> I went through three different mics. So, I'm thinking, okay, we better hit it now before we start walking. So all I could think to say was, Coach, I'm speechless. I'm sure you are too, but I have to ask for your initial thoughts after what we just saw. And Neil answered me, but I think he was as much talking to the officials who were walking with us when he answered me. He was kind of talking to the officials through me. That's that's the impression I got. But uh, And we had so many chances to do something earlier in the game. So yeah, let's that's, drop the pretense that hey, only because that's of where, this Harry, and only yeah, because of this. That's penalty. what I keep. Oh no, no, only because of, that's nonsense. We had multiple chances, multiple chances. That's what I kept coming back to as well. You know, oh, in, no. the, in the in the in the aftermath of that game, I'm sure like you guys. I mean, it's it's different. Like I I know the back and forth. The way I watch a WVU game is much different than the way I work a Steelers game, right? I mean, yeah. it's but it's that same kind of you're sitting there after a loss like that, and you're like, how the bleep did that just happen? 
And originally, I, I mean, you didn't get any favors from the officiating on the night, but it shouldn't it shouldn't have been a factor. I mean, it it, it just absolutely no, it should have been a factor. I mean, the fact the fact that you were down at halftime after that first half performance is is one of the. I mean, you you should have had a comfortable ten point lead yeah. at halftime. Instead, you're down. Um, and when you had over a hundred yards rushing in the first half, and we're moving the you football yourself- at will. On the one hand, you gave yourself so many chances to do something, but on the other hand, you kept shooting yourself in the foot. Right. Uh, West Virginia was minus one in turnover margin. That's now, okay, in the last 12 games, we've now won the turnover margin once. We've won it outright once. That needs to change. The pit game, right? The brawl. The pit game, that was it. That was the only game since last year's Baylor game that we actually won the turnover battle. Now, we haven't lost it every game. We just haven't won it except for one time. But and then when when you look at the efficiency that we had, despite Tomas being out, despite Wyatt being out, who I think one of them is a first team Big 12 kid and the other one probably in a year will be a first team Big 12 kid. um, The backups played their hearts out. Uh, We're a different football team on that left side without those two in there. But we still found a way to move the football for 500 plus yards. We still found a way to pass protect and keep Garrett relatively clean. We still found a way to convert 68% on third down. Guys, the last time, and this was an issue coming in, we talked about our third down struggles and how we have to improve on third down. Those transition downs are critical. We have to move the sticks more efficiently. The last time we converted 68% on third down against an FBS team, 2012. So there were so many things we did well. But then it wasn't just a turnover. It was a turnover in the red zone. The penalties were all critical. Yeah. So the tackling wasn't up to obviously. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. that Where did that come from, from our defense, after what we had seen through the first five games of the year? I mean, you saw the exceptional explosive pass game that we wanted to see that would make us a complete offense. But at the same time, look, we had one turnover. We could have had three. I mean, that kid outright dropped a pick was six, seven minutes to go. Outright dropped it right in front of us. I had no idea he dropped it. We had the fumble on the pitch to CJ that I thought Garrett put in too hot. That could have been a fumble. That could have been a scoop and score for them. So there were things that that we we needed to do much cleaner than we actually did. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, we've managed to impact the passer. We we went into that game. We led the Big 12 in quarterback hits because of that D-line rotation. An exceptional play by our backers. Guys, we hit him once. We knocked him down once. Now, all year, because of the impact we had on the passer with those hits, with those knockdowns leading the Big 12, we had held the competition to a Big 12 best 50% completion rate. Well, guess what? We didn't impact him, and he was 21 of 27. He completed nearly 80% of his throws. So, all the things we didn't do well were things that we paid for. And mm-hmm. Big Daddy, you were on bus five. I was on mm-hmm. bus four. Uh, it was grim, as you might expect. Uh, I mean, all I could think of is you, you felt the dead silence on the bus. It was really the only noise was the occasional siren of the police escort weaving around in and out of the traffic as we made our way in the caravan to the to the airport. And it's I mean, that's the part of it that you would expect. It's like Billy Bean and Moneyball. You know, this is what losing sounds like. Well, that is exactly what that sounded like. I mean, it was it was dead silent. But the truth of the matter is this. You can be upset. You can be pissed. You better be upset. You better be pissed. And trust me, they all are. Uh, that That's the nature of it. But you can't 
feel sorry for yourself. I don't get the impression anybody in that building, anybody in that locker room is. Here's what you got to remember. And you always got to be conscious of this. And this has to be top of mind every day as a football player. Things in a football game don't happen to you. Things in a football game happen because of you. No matter what that thing is, it doesn't happen to you. It happens because of you. And so long as you embrace and recognize that, then that's the first step toward understanding I can change this. We can improve. It's not some, you know, conspiracy where the universe is conspiring against us. And no matter what we do, we're snake, but no nonsense. We control this. We control how much better we get. We control how physically we play. We control how smart we play. We control how disciplined we are. So things happen because of you. They don't happen to you. And that has to be a part of every thought in your mind after something is frustrating with as many chances as we left on the table as this loss in Houston and handing them their first Big 12 win. It's it's little things that happen in a game that you just when you're there, you see, and it's wild. So so Bartlett had had the big sack, right? Had the one hit of the game. Pre-game, Bruce Irvin's there, Tavon's there, Wendell Smallwood's there, Carl Joseph's there. Like it was, it was, there was a reunion there oh, on the sidelines. Sure. Bartlett pulls Bruce aside right before we do the punt pregame, pulls him aside and says, Hey, how do you do? And I backed off because I, you know, let the let them talk. I know nothing about this. But Bartlett asks him something, and Bruce like thinks for a second and gives him an answer. Bartlett gets that sack, comes off the sideline. First person to grab him on the sideline, Bruce Irvin. And he goes, you did exactly what I told you. So you see that and you're like, okay, that things on the field happen because of you. You heard something, you listened to something, you did it. Absolutely. And, and then another thing, it's, you know, obviously brutal, absolutely brutal night. And then it's a 30, 35 minute ride to the airport. And then it's get on the plane and then it's fly home. You know, West, you deal with this too when you're on the road and everything. Stuff that gets lost is Thursday night game, right? Jed, you have to interview Neil coming off the field. I run the post-game press conference with all of our other media members. That's obviously brutal and tough. Um, Neil comes in, uh, just, you know, you got to calm your emotions, all of that stuff. Garrett did a great job. I, I will say, you know, we talked about emotional leader. Yeah, he owned it. He owned it. Uh, that's exactly what I want to see. If you're going to screw up, he was the first, like, that was, he I, He said, I'm a dumbass. You know what I mean? He, like, flat out said it. Said it a couple times, yeah. It's a rule that all of us know, unfortunately, as adults, that absolutely sucks. The only way you learn from a mistake is to make the damn thing in the first place. No excuse, but that's what happens. Things folks don't understand. Neil, after doing your post-game interview, after doing the media session with us, then has to go in the hallway with our friends from Gold Blue Nation to shoot their television show that needs to air on Friday. So not only are you living in it, you then got to talk about it once, you've got to talk about it twice, and then you've got to talk about it a third time within 25 to 30 minutes of that game ending. So it just buries in you and buries in you and buries in you. Yeah, and then the ride to the airport and the plane ride home is the most day. If none of you out there have ever done it, it took me a while as a NARP, a non-athletic regular person, to understand the true nature of it. You sit down, you shut up, nobody talks because everybody just has to, you're just, what are you going to, we're going to giggle. Somebody's going to tell a joke on the bus and it's funny after something like that just happens. Like it's just a prolonged, reflective, brutal silence. It's a morgue. It's like, it's like you're walking, it's like you're walking through the morgue. I mean, 
Yep, it, it absolutely you, you is. It's... Halfway across the country, you're groggy, you're hot, you're sticky. Mm-hmm. It, the salt has I stuck mean, to your skin from you I mean, sweating all game. Daddy, this will give you some context. I always sit up near the front just because of the nature of the microphone situation I have for Learfield. I have to, I have to be mm-hmm. right next to whoever we're interviewing. So Big Daddy told me, he's like, hey, Jed, because of the sweat in this room, it's just so the condensation, you might, there's, there was tape holding up the backdrop behind me. He always said, oh, you don't mind, you might have to get up there and put that back up. So yeah. it was just, ugh. so yeah. you go from that to the bus ride to the plane ride, and then you get back to West Virginia and it's the three middle in the morning. Of the we got to fight morning. for traffic to get and out now of you the sit in traffic <laughs> to pay $10. You got to sit in a lot of traffic to pay $10 to get out of the airport. I can't believe you guys have to do that. And, and, and then you, you leave. And I, again, you have to drive home and they have to bus home. And they I'm unloading equipment. I'm ingesting footage in the server at four in the morning. And it's just like, ugh. my those kids wake up and can't walk the next morning. And, yep. and, me and, and then, again, I'll go back to this. This can't be stated enough that Garrett Green and Zach Frazier yeah. got up after having part of their soul ripped out hours before and decided, how am I going to spend this groggy, ridiculously sore and painful Friday morning? I'm going to go elevate someone else. That's what yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. So that is incredible. Hats off. Kudos to them. You, you don't want to You don't want to do silver linings. I understand that. A loss is a loss. You don't want to do silver linings. But when you wake up and you get about your day, Shelby's out of town. I've got D on my own that night, Saturday morning. I'm still not recovered. I'm old. I'm fat. It's brutal. I didn't even play in the game. And you see something like that pop up and you can't help but just go like, dude, like I'm, I'm crying in my kitchen, working from home, putting footage together and trying to figure out what I'm going to cook myself for lunch. And they're out there being the best possible version of their self, doing what everybody always wants to see an athlete do. And you know that there's not one morsel of, well, I'm going to do this so that people like that is just them. If Zach could work in his wood shop and go visit children's hospital patients without even playing football, that's what he would do every single day. And, and I can't say this enough. What Garrett Green did between the lines showed us you can win a whole lot of football football games with that kid. You can win a whole lot of football games with that kid. I completely agree, and we better go do it, right? Because in real – hold on. Two things. One, Jed, it's really weird. Your computer's only beeping when you're talking. I don't know what's yeah. going on, but it's when, <laughs> yeah. when, when well, Sean and I talk, it doesn't happen. It's uh, I don't know if it's, there's – it's very fitting for this episode to follow up perfect. that game with us. Perfect. It's, it's, it's honestly kind of perfect as we've gone along here. The second thing is now I have a new goal for this podcast of In the Gun. We are going to use this platform to get you guys free parking and out of the airport in a reasonable time and not have to sit there for an hour and pay $10 to get out of an airport at 3 in the bleeding morning on a Friday. That's That's the new goal of this. That's the new mission statement of the In the Gun podcast is to attempt to get our brethren free parking when they get home from the football game. Wes, it's not even that it's free. Look, if you'd say, hey, when the season starts, can you pay 100 bucks if you have to wait in the line at 4 o'clock in the morning? I'd say absolutely, as long as I don't wait in line at 4 o'clock in the morning. 
Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to, to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. Um... But here's the thing, right? Like, it's you're you're absolutely right. It, the 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 pool of silver lining, if you want to, after a loss from that, and I don't know if I'm quite there. I think three days out now, I'm 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 about I'm I'm about I'm fifty fifty about ready to ready to go there. It's that yes, you you should with this quarterback, you should be able to win games. The the other part of that is go win them, right? Because like. <sighs> This, Still a winnable this is, schedule. It's, it's, Still it's, a winnable it's, schedule. It's, it's a, it's a season-defining loss or it's a season-defining moment. It's one of the two. It's a season-defining. It's, it's, it's one of those games, right, Sean, that has two future results. 96 either, Miami. 96 either, Miami. That's 96 all Miami. anybody said after or, the game. 96 or, Miami. Or 2003 Miami, like we were just yeah. talking about. They got their hearts broken by Kellen Winslow down there, and then they won, what, seven straight games in, 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 a, in Big East champions, a share of the Big East title. It's you, you, you either, you either take it on your chin and the crap that you deserve for, for, for losing a game like that. And you grow from it and it, it it's not a season defining loss. It's a season defining moment, or you let it completely wreck your season. I mean, that's, and you know, the, the, the thing is that the thing that really hurts is I'm sitting there in the moments between the Hudson Clement touchdown and the hail Mary, right. Which now feels like an eternity when you're oh, replaying it, it in, your, years. in your mind. Yeah. I'm 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 sitting there and I'm thinking we're about to be five and one, and my God, like it, it feels like something special is cooking, right? Because 
every single one of those games and in the Duquesne game different. What was special about the Duquesne game was the two and a half hour lightning delay and all that beating Duquesne comfort, beating Duquesne comfortably is not special. It's something, but right. But then the pit game and just the whole way that transpired. And then the Texas tech game, a team that had had your number for four straight years and the way you were able to get a goal line stand, a goal fourth and goal stand at the end, at the end of the game to win. And then TCU, a team who was in the national championship last year and all those moments in that game where it felt like you had a chance to pack it in and you just found a way. And then I'm thinking the same thing down in Houston and I'm going like, maybe like, this is it. Like, is this, is this the season I've been waiting for as a fan since big O was, 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 was playing right. Or maybe since that orange bowl season with Gino and Tavon and and Bruce and, and so many of those guys, you, you still have an opportunity to have a great season. Maybe, maybe not 10 and two, spe- you know, if, if you're, if you take care of business in Houston, you come back home, you beat Oklahoma state, you're six and one. Hey, go having a 10 and two type season is on the table. Maybe that's not as realistic now, but you can still finish with eight or nine wins and, and a win over pit, which all of us would have signed for in blood before the season yeah. started. But I will guys, I will never get over that loss. And like, it sounds funny. I'm laughing as I say it, if you're watching on YouTube, but the best way for me to describe, I'll never get over that loss. I know it was a, it was a, a middle of October lot. Like it's, it's not the pit game in 2007, right? Like I, I, it's, it's not the Oklahoma game in 2018 where you had a, a trip to the big 12 championship on, on the line. But what I mean in the sense of, I'll never get over that loss is speaking of those two games, you guys will laugh. I, I, I rewatch every WVU game. I mean, I did when I when I was a kid, I would DVR him on the TV and I would rewatch him. When I was interning for Sean and Chris O, I would rewatch him three times when I was cutting up footage. Now Mondays are my it's it's this is one of those woe is me moments, right? Like no one feels bad for me, but with my job, one of the difficulties is I got to watch the WVU game on Saturday and then the Steelers on Sunday, and then I have to do shows about both of those all week. And it can be easy to get your signals crossed. Wait, did that happen in this? When the Jalen Anderson on this and the Minka Fitzpatrick on that, or was it this and that? So Mondays, normally before we record the podcast, Monday evenings, I rewatch the WVU game. Tuesdays are my Steelers rewatch day. So Monday is Mountaineer rewatch, Tuesday is Steeler rewatch. There's three games in my life that I have never rewatched and I refuse to, and I won't. And you would have to pay me a million dollars to get me to rewatch them. They're 2003 Miami that we just talked about. It's 2018 Oklahoma. And it's of course the 13, nine game in 2007. I have never rewatched those games. I can still tell you every excruciating detail of those games. I don't need to rewatch those games. This game is in tomorrow. I'm not watching it. Not, not, not this week, not next week, not the end of the season. I'm not rewatching that game on Thursday. But buddy, again, we can we we can look back and we can say that that was a season-defining moment in a good way. Yeah. That, that that they that was their bad tackling game. That was their took too many penalties game. Two things that had really been a strength this season. But you found out a lot about Garrett, and maybe he just lost it for a moment there at the end. But it drove him over the course of this back half of the season. These next six games, I will never get over that loss personally because this episode drops on Monday. We should have a little number next to our name today. We should all, Mountaineer Nation should be waking up Monday, ranked 22nd or 23rd or 24th, something like that in the nation. And we won't. And we are on five years now of, be, you know, 2018 against Oklahoma. And all that was the last time we were ranked was, was that season with, with Will and David and, and, and those guys, the two Davids, Stills and Long Jr. Um, I'm rambling here. I apologize. But you, you can look back on this at the end of the season and say that galvanized us, that motivated us, that kicked us in the ass in the right way. 
or we can look back at the end of the year at six and six and seven and five and say, man, that's really when it all came undone. I I'm, I'm hoping it's the former, not the latter. I said this to you, Sean, when we were talking about after the TCU game and how to find a way to win, just like you did against Texas tech, just like you did against Pitt, losing your quarterback, Texas tech, fourth and goal stand, you know, TCU, all these different moments, two blocked field goals. <sighs> like, you can you can still have the type of season that we all look back on eight and four, nine and three, and you beat Pitt and you really got this thing turned around. I I, I said to you, right, that it, it finally felt like, you know, yeah. this this team hit. I forget exactly how I worded it to you after TCU, but those are games we lose. No, that's what that's what games we lose. Over the last couple of seasons, those are the games we lose. You know, like you, you, you let this be the one exception this year, you know, that, that you you, you, you found you know, that's hold on real quick, Jed. That's that's yeah, how I would yeah. put it, Sean. All season so far to this point, you found a way to win. Thursday night in Houston, you found a way to lose. Don't let let that be the exception. Don't let let that become the habit. I've said when we were four and one. I've said because it crossed my mind multiple times. I was like, hey, what if instead of opening the season at Penn State, we opened at home against Bowling Green? We'd be sitting there five and zero oh, and ranked, almost certainly ranked, with our schedule, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even outside of Penn State. So, but I look at it and I'm like, did the Penn State game serve as part of the reason that we won four straight? Probably. Did yeah. it make us a tougher, more battle-tested team mm-hmm. after stepping in front of 110,000 people with an "us against the world" mentality? A true national championship contending us, team. Yes. Did that help yeah. make us a better team? In the same way, I would say this: for all the things that we saw that we can extract as potential positives if they keep giving coming out of the Houston game, we saw the pass game we necessarily have to have to win some of the games we want to win. We saw things out of the offense that we have to have. We saw the big splash plays downfield that we have to have. Now, you're saying to yourself, what's frustrating about it is, yeah, but couldn't we have done it and won the game, right? That's true. We absolutely could have done all those things and held on at the end and won the game and still had that great pass game to build off of and do this and do that. But there's one thing and only the future will tell us if this is true or not. There's one thing that we couldn't get out of that game, and we could have won. Maturity from Garrett Green. It might take that lesson from what happened at the end of that performance by Garrett Green, which would, again, it, that would have been celebrated in, in, in you know the facilities building as one of the greatest moments in the history of the program for an October game or not. Just mm-hmm. the nature of the ending. It might take, I don't know if you survive it, if in fact maybe your you know, mission control position, as it's often called by Tim Brando, your quarterback, grows in the only way left that he really has to grow the most, and that is channeling his emotion and making it only a positive thing and never a negative thing because he's such an emotionally charged kid that so often your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. But there's no doubt in my mind, Garrett Green is going to grow from this. And you know what? That might necessarily only happen if you lose that game. You could build off the pass game by holding on and winning at the end, winning at the end. You could get all that and move forward with a win. 
But what you might not be able to get by moving forward with a win is that level of growth from your quarterback. Now, you hate that it might take that to get to that point, that level of sacrifice, that painful rip your heart out, rip your soul out, loss of that nature. Like I said, I, I truly think the way in which that game ended, Mountaineer field or Mountaineer fans, any of you who are watching, any of you who uh, listened to that, whatever the case might have been, pat yourself on the back because, man, that is a red badge of courage right there. That I don't know that a fan base has ever in a single game in October suffered through 12 seconds on both ends of the field like that. I can't think of a Hail Mary with two plays left in the game, okay, was trumped or, or trumped a play that was just made previously 12 seconds before. Again, all kind of crazy things happen in the final minutes of any long list of football games, right? I mean, we almost lost the Texas game after the Will Greer throw. I mean, that, that could have happened. That could have happened, right? All kind of crazy things happen in the final minute or two of football games. This was the final 12 seconds. 12 seconds. So pat yourself on the back if you survived it, Mountaineer fans. I really don't know if you pop the hood and take the long, painful look at it that I have. If anybody has experienced that extreme of one emotion, very quickly, 12 seconds later, followed by the other. It's it's almost like a buddy of mine said, it's like, two back-to-back buzzer beaters in basketball except buzzer beaters happen way too often it, it that's almost what it was it was truly our fourth and ten miracle from the 50 that was miraculous that would have gone down as one of the greatest quincy wilson light plays in the history of mountaineer football How yeah, especially especially because it happened with a west virginia kid you know you can't yes. win with these west virginia yes. kids you can't win with the west virginia kids here's a martinsburg kid that would have gone down on that short list of plays how many hundreds of thousands of plays has West Virginia football run in its history? That would have been one of the 10 or dozen that you talk about forever. And it was instead followed by one of Houston's 10 or 12 that they'll talk about. I don't think that has ever happened that I can think of. So Mountaineer fans, if you survived that, more power to you. Pat yourself on the back. It's just one more arrow in your quiver and that is a badge of courage because i don't know if any fan base has ever been tasked with going through something like those final 12 seconds now define define survived for me i mean i'm still alive but still here i think my i think my liver would argue that i didn't survive well you might you might uh, not be here as long as you otherwise would have been but uh survive in advance you're going to try and watch the next football game and you're oh, gonna try going to, to watch the next you're football cheer, game and, and tell you what. But 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 like I said, the very nature of that to me, in all the wrong ways, makes it unprecedented. We're on the business end of being unprecedented, and it's not the first time that's happened. So uh, it's not like we just lost on a Hail Mary. A lot of people have lost on a Hail Mary. Yeah. Not a lot of people have lost on a Hail Mary 12 seconds after what otherwise would have been one of the greatest plays in the history of your program. Jed, I have been, I've been, I've been racking my brain for like ten minutes trying to think of one. I got, I can think of one example for you, yeah. and I, it was fifteen, twenty years ago. Uh-huh. Kentucky is hosting LSU, yeah. and they score with ten seconds left on like a deflected like ball, 
they're going crazy. They haven't beat LSU in like 20 years. They dump yeah. they dump Gatorade on the coach, and LSU uh-huh. throws a hail mary on the last play. Jimbo and, was on staff at LSU when that happened. But like yeah. that's, I mean, that's the only one. I don't even remember what year it was. I know it was like 15, 20 years ago. Like yeah, I said, it was, that's. It was, it was you know, I want to go back and look. I want to go back and look and see what yard line that was on. Was that like on the 18, or was it a goal to go situation? Again, yeah. we're, just, we're, we're we're thinking Wes under the circumstances. Can we do something miraculous enough for a long field goal? Field attempt? goal. Field goal. For a long I went field to goal Grayson. It's I went take to a Grayson. Miracle, a miracle to try a long field goal. And <laughs> we got I a touchdown. Will. I'm going to leave our kicker alone. I understand that juju very much. I walk over to Grayson and I just whisper, where do we need? And he just points and I walked away. That's it. Like, okay, we're playing for this. Here that's we go. It. I mean, that's what's so crazy. You're right, Wes. I remember that game. That, that That's not a bad one. Uh, it makes me want to go look and see how long that touchdown by Kentucky was. Again, Jimbo was on staff with – I'm pretty sure that was Nick and Jimbo at LSU. But it was, so it had been like 2003, something like that. I thought it was 04, 05, somewhere in there. I feel like I was home. It was, two, it was November 9th, 2002. Okay. okay. How long was the Kentucky touchdown? What the, we blue, the bluegrass miracle here. Uh, 74-yard Hail Mary by LSU. Yes, Good by Lord. LSU. It was deflected. Remember the kid caught yep. it. It popped up and up and over top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Your... Yeah, I'm very curious to see what touchdown set that up. Because here's the truth of the matter. If it was third, it was goals, a it was no, it was a it was a field goal from Kentucky that set that there, up, there actually. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I mean, yep. because it's not this, if it's third touchdown. and goal at the 17, you're still losing your mind. If it's third and goal at the six, you're losing your mind. Yeah. But it's not fourth and ten from the 50, 50. with 12 seconds left. It's you yeah. Know. That was when Nick Saban was head coach of LSU. Yeah, Nick and, and Jimbo oh, was his OC. Was. Yeah. Yeah, guys, again. We will look so back. That, that was a good we'll, guess, Wes. That was. I'll tell you what. That was maybe as close as anybody. Like I come. said, I've, I've been we thinking about that for like years ten now. minutes. Twenty-one years. Twenty-one years. Yeah. Leave it in the comments if you can think of something. Hats off to you, Wes, because that's about as close. I I didn't think of that one, but as soon as you said, it, I remember what you were talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one that if you if that's you were alive and you were a college you football come. fan, you like remember. I said, there have been hail marys, and and I think what was crazy about that one, it wasn't a fifty-yard hail mary. He needed help to even reach the end zone of the deflection. Yeah. But there have been Hail Marys follow game time touchdowns, goal to go, whatever, field goals. I mean, field goals and goal to go touchdowns. But I just can't remember one that the fourth and 10 in and of itself felt Hail Mary like. Yeah. It felt miraculous. We were desperately trying for a long field goal and didn't know if we'd get it. Jed, as soon as Hudson Clement caught that ball, I'm going, get down, get down, get down, get down. Oh, my God, he's going to score. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I think that's what the free safety was thinking, too, when you watched the team. <laughs> but, yeah, he came in at a bad angle. He overran it, and Hudson just whoosh, swooshed him. Off he goes. And I. But, so, yeah, Mountaineer fans, if this feels particularly painful, you're on to something. I really don't think what you just suffered through has ever been suffered through in a regular season game in October by another fan base anywhere. When you when you consider the swing of the pendulum from your miracle to their miracle, because look, I'm not going to categorize any game tying field goal as a miracle or any goal to go touchdown as a miracle. Fourth and 10 from the 50 with 12 seconds left is miraculous. And it was immediately followed by, well, we saw what it was followed by. So West Virginia Mountaineer fans, I Mountaineer Nation, one more in a 
under the backdrop too, or the, uh, the the juxtaposition with or combined with. Again, I know I'm not the only one. A lot of our listeners out there, I know you were thinking this too. Like all day Thursday, all day Thursday, and, and I'm a weirdo. I'm upset. I mean, WVU is the only team in my life anymore that truly affects my emotions. Like I want the Steelers to win. It's fun. It makes my job more enjoyable. They're the team I grew up rooting for. But I I don't I don't live and die with the results. Yeah. Hockey is my favorite sport. I love the Pittsburgh Penguins, but they've won five Stanley Cups in my lifetime. Like they've given me everything. I they don't play 80 I don't, some games a year. I don't I don't get like even the last four years when the Penguins have been one and done and disappointing in the playoffs, I'm still not cursing and yeah, I'm not I'm not the ability to sleep is gone for a night because we just lost. WVU is yeah. the only team in my life that's like that. And I know there's a lot of you out there. I said it on the, the podcast, I think, after the TCU game. There's not a program in the country that represents its state like WVU. Um, I don't remember. Was that the conversation we were having? Whenever. you got, I mean, you guys remember that. And I thought about that a little bit more, actually. Ohio State's maybe the one that I would be willing to give an olive branch to, but completely different conversation. Um, all day Thursday. All day Thursday. I'm thinking this completes the try. We win tonight. And not only does it complete the trifecta of revenge, because we got the Pit W, backyard brawl, particularly after the way it went down last year. We got the Texas Tech W after they'd beaten us for four straight years and embarrassed the crap out of us. If we get the Dana W, I'm like, that's the trifecta of the revenge tour. And I will rank up, I will wake up Monday, I will go into work Monday with all my Pit Panther wankers that I work with, and we'll be ranked. And they will be one in five. You know, like that's what's going through my mind all day Thursday. So, yeah, thanks, Jed. Not only of the backdrop of no team really has ever lost like that, or the examples are insanely minuscule. And we lost the opportunity to be ranked for the first time in five years. Uh, but again, I, it's the last thing I'll say. You guys can get final thoughts if you want after this. It doesn't have to be a season-defining loss. It can be a season-defining moment. Um, but that is obviously up to those guys and those coaches players, coaches, everybody in that locker room. So, yeah, this was, this was great. I, I can't, Sean, I, Sean, I can't decide if, if this was like, um, cathartic, cathartic, or, yeah. or if it, if it brought back, if I, like, I was finally in. getting over the three day depression and now I'm yeah. back in the mud. Yeah. Yeah. I figure that one out. Well, um, Oklahoma state's like, like you've got a legit team now coming in. They've done something in their last two games. So here it is. Here you I go. Feel, I, I feel, I feel, yeah, I feel much worse about the Oklahoma State game now than I did a couple weeks ago, but I feel much better about the UCF game now than I did a couple weeks ago. So I guess those things have kind of balanced each other out. Uh, again, you still, you still, maybe not the dream, maybe not the 10 and two, and somehow we find our way in the Big 12 championship game and our only losses on the season are to top 10 teams, Penn State and Oklahoma on the road type dream season. But this can still be a special season. You find a way to win eight or nine games, and you've got that pit win in mixed in with that as well, too. It can still be a special season. Maybe not the 2005 Sugar Bowl dream season that none of us saw coming out of anywhere, but it can still certainly be a special season. Um, we'll see you next week, beginning next week, against Mike Gundy and those Oklahoma State Cowboys who are going to be rolling into town. That'll do it for us tonight. We survived computer beeping issues with Jed. We got our buddy Big Daddy here for way too long. Sean, thanks to you as always for, for taking the time to join us. You know we love it. Our listeners love it. 
Uh, thanks to our guy Skylar for putting this together. Um, this episode will drop on Monday, so again, a little different schedule with the Thursday game, but we'll still have our pick'em coming up for you. We'll have a full Okie State preview, and of course, Phil Steele as well, too. So plenty to get to. Thanks to Toothman and to Fortis for presenting this episode of ITG as well, too. And of course, the one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WV football podcast for the Signal Caller, Jed Drenning, the runaway beer truck, Owen Schmidt, our producer, Skylar Callahan, and the handsome puppy man of gold, Sean Mariner. I am Wesley Euler. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.